Welcome to another episode of The Bandage Podcast, a weekly wrap-up of the most trending healthcare news. Each week, join me and my co-host, Alex Ross, as we'll discuss the latest in healthcare, health IT, and compliance. In this week's episode, we discuss cases of bubonic plague, vitamin C detector, and a genetic chatbot for hereditary cancer. Let's wrap things up. This is episode 41 for the week of July 13th. I'm Matt Moneypenny. And I'm Alex Ross. Before we get started, our diagnosis code of this week is A07.4, cyclosporiasis. You know, Matt, <laughs> this one's pretty topical uh, because actually it, it just happened to me. In Did fact, it? I'm still recovering from it as we speak. Ah. Um, I don't know if you remember last week when we were discussing uh, contaminated lettuces from yes. some different supermarkets around here that were contaminated with cyclospora. Um, well, you know, I, I guess I just forgot about that whole conversation mm-hmm. um, because I was driving back behind the local supermarket and they were just throwing away cases of lettuce. So I'm like, free lettuce. And I took it home and, you know, I basically had a lettuce feast. It was phenomenal, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> just Sounds the absolute super flavorful you've ever seen really <laughs> um yeah but unfortunately as normally happens when you are eating a bunch of contaminated lettuce uh, you get sick <laughs> so um yeah i yeah you know it's uh recovering from this cyclospora infection um it's been rough but at least i got a well, bunch of free lettuce and i still have some left if you'd like some no, I, you know, we should have said before last week's uh, conclusion of last week's podcast, we should have said, let us remember about the cyclospore going around in the lettuce industry. So that way you wouldn't have been in so much pain, you know? Maybe we should have. Let us been in pain never forget this though. moment. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, let's get right into the news. First up, we have year-long warning for a handful of cases. Health officials in Inner Mongolia, a region between Mongolia and northeastern China, said that they suspect a case of bubonic plague in a man who's been hospitalized. Another potential case was also reported in the westernmost part of Mongolia that shares borders with China and Russia. Authorities issued a heightened warning and asked residents to report ill and dead animals. The warning will last through the end of the year and advises residents not to eat wild animals. Mongolia reported four cases last year, two of which died. So it's Honestly, that time surprised. of the year when yeah, it's a I'm... new month and, uh, you know, 2020, every month there's been something crazy happening. And now for July, we have bubonic plague. <laughs> I, I do wonder if this is something that happens regularly. Yeah. I, I mean, bubonic plague has been around forever, obviously, and it's not nearly as big as a threat as it used to be. And every now and then a new case will right. pop up. Even in the United States, it still kind of shows up every now and then. Um, so it's not that big of a deal. But right. the important okay. thing is to note is don't eat wild animals, which is something that I feel like we should all know, given COVID. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. So... I, I looked up the CDC statistics here um, about the bubonic plague. Roughly 80% of U.S. plague cases are the bubonic form. Mm. Um, we see an average of about seven plague cases each year. So there we go. 
it, it still exists in some ridiculously small number and somehow we haven't eradicated it. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did want to look up and see, I know that smallpox is a disease that we consider to be eradicated. And I wanted to know if maybe we were seeing just a couple cases every year. I feel like we wouldn't because that's one of the ones that everyone mentions as being terribly difficult. If it were to escape the lab or something, it would just ravage everybody. Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm glad that we live in a world where bubonic plague is no longer a threat because it literally took out one third of Europe. So, you know, this is, uh, (laughs) we live in a good time right now. (laughs) Apparently. I mean, obviously it'd be cool if we could eradicate it completely. Uh, yeah, the internet says that the last naturally occurring case of smallpox, whatever that means, <laughs> was confirmed <laughs> in 1977. So there have not been any naturally occurring cases of smallpox since then. Well, that's good. I can definitely see why they would call that eradicated. Next up, bubonic plague. And actually next up, a tattoo patch that provides health benefits. Researchers developed a non-invasive technology that may support dietary adherence and detect nutritional deficiencies by tracking vitamin C levels in sweat. The device stands out because it monitors nutrient levels instead of physical activity, vital signs, or symptoms. The device is a flexible vitamin C tattoo patch applied to the skin. It contains a system that stimulates sweating and an electrode sensor designed to detect vitamin C levels in perspiration. An electric current is generated, which the sensor detects and measures to analyze the levels. The researchers tested its ability to detect temporal vitamin C changes in tears and saliva, demonstrating its cross-functionality. The authors of the study suggested that the sensors offer potential for guiding personalized nutrition solutions. What an interesting concept to completely get away from activity tracking. So out of everything that I saw, like foresaw where it was, a smart device. I did not see temporary tattoo patches <laughs> as something that was going to be able to monitor our health. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really curious as to what the tattoo looks like. Do you think that they got really hokey and it's just like oranges slices and like <laughs> sunshines <laughs> and like, or do you think it's like actual cool looking tattoos or do you think they're just like, ah, here is a nice mango. Get your vitamin C. <laughs> I, I like that. Obviously, we're we're working with vitamin C, but not necessarily. Let's see. I wish they had a picture of it here. No, it just looks like a bunch of boring squiggles. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so it's in its fun. infancy, right? Eventually, it'll be a whole sleeve. It'll be a fake <laughs> sleeve tattoo patch. No, but it it is small enough, based on what I'm seeing in kind of the renderings of it, that you could fit it under a watch band, for example. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't that be interesting? You know, as I've said with other technologies like this, we could just integrate it into our smartwatches and just continue to add on more and more sensors. It would become, yeah. uh, what's it, Captain Gadget or whatever? Just Inspector Gadget? Inspector Gadget. Captain Gadget. <laughs> That's the off-brand version of Inspector Gadget. <laughs> Captain, Captain Tools. <laughs> no, it's Inspector Gadget, and the off-brand is Captain Gizmo. <laughs> Captain, he says, go, go, Gizmo. Exactly. <laughs> go, go, Gizmo, vitamin C patch. Right. Yeah. No, this is cool, though. I think, I mean, overall, really cool to see what they can come up with um, in terms of any kind of sensory stuff. Eventually, I feel like we'll all just be walking around and have like 15 different sensors on us, one of which that can buy things, one of which that can buy, that can look at our heartbeat, 
one of which that can look at vitamin C indicators. I don't really know how important it is to know your vitamin C levels like in that capacity. Like how many people do you think actually have vitamin C deficiency? Like, isn't that related to like scurvy? Like, is that only yeah. pirates? Yeah. <laughs> like, these, we don't see it very often. That's why it's a tattoo patch is because it fits for pirates. Absolutely. No, <laughs> I, I think we're missing the the point of this patch. It's not to deliver vitamin C. Yeah, it's no, to I know. track the levels and, and use that to try and determine things about your health. Mm-hmm. So definitely give it to the pirates, but I wonder <laughs> if they have scurvy, maybe it won't work right. Give them, well, if they have scurvy, <laughs> it still will work, but they'll already have scurvy, so it won't be preventative. It'll just say, hey, <laughs> you got scurvy. You have scurvy because you don't have vitamin C. Imagine that. Right. <laughs> And with that, are you ready for the next headline? It's nice to meet you, Gene. A precision medicine company is working with the genetic health AI startup to create a chatbot for assisting patients who may have hereditary cancer. The chatbot named Gene will have answers to over 500,000 patient-level questions involving health genetics and healthcare-related finances. The platform will integrate with an online quiz that engages around 1 million people per year. The chatbot gives information about hereditary cancer so potential patients can discern if they should have taken an online assessment and could be candidates for full genetic testing. Patients who receive the go-ahead will take an evaluation process that may include live conversations with a genetic counselor. Gene will also be extended to testing products for prenatal conditions and additional cancer diagnosis. Then we can all say, hygiene, when we, get, when we talk to him. Get it? Hygiene? Like... He's not really helping you with your hygiene. He's helping you with your genetics. So, you know, just an important distinction there. (laughs) (laughs) From a weird perspective, it kind of feels like a marketing attempt. Like, hey, we got this cool chatbot. Come talk to it. I'm surprised. Yeah. You can, you know, use our services. I could see. I'm surprised that this isn't like already offered by something like Ancestry or 23andMe, the Mm-hmm. genetics or like human history databases because it kind of feels like it fits right within that realm and maybe it's something that they're trying to get bought by down the down the line i don't know um i can see that it's kind of cool i mean it's definitely helpful because a lot of times like you'll go throughout your life and you won't realize and then your mom will be like oh yeah your great great grandfather died from a brain tumor and you're like oh that would have been great to know like four years ago when i was at the doctor getting scanned for stuff so things like that happen all the time so this is helpful this should also help save our our doctors a little bit of time just answering yep. the same question over and over and over yeah exactly i think it could definitely streamline the the entire process of what you- kind of medical history do you have where you answer that questionnaire with like did this happen in your family? Did this happen in your family? Did this happen mm-hmm. in your family? And you're like, no, no, no. And then there's the one that's like, yes. <laughs> there's always one that's like, yes, that did happen. Now that you yep. mentioned it, you know, that could help that for sure. I need to have that conversation with uh, my parents because honestly, I'm not too well versed in everything that's happened to my family. <laughs> yeah. And like, if, if you go around your whole life, you're like, you know what? My family is perfect. We have no bad health in our genes. You're wrong. Like that just doesn't happen. There's some something along the line, guaranteed. Right. So well, hopefully not like super predisposed to it in your genes, obviously. But yeah. And with that, let's get on to our next segment. 
B-R-E-A-C-H. Breach Patrol. It's a breach! All of the latest cybersecurity breaches. Welcome to Breach Patrol, where we talk about the latest and greatest and biggest and largest and most severe breaches all across the world. First up, we have... First up, can I file a claim for my stolen data? Brazilian health insurer Hepvita said that it suffered a cyber attack potentially involving access to the personal information of its customers. Hepvita conducted a preliminary assessment of the security breach and said that the attackers did not access customers' medical records or financial information. It said the attack was blocked by Hapvita's own information security officers and third-party companies specialized in dealing with these issues. A thorough analysis is still underway. The company is conducting a complete review aimed at strengthening protections and mitigating risks. So this is an example of a company who is prepared for a cybersecurity attack, and yet they're still letting their customers know that there was an attempted cybersecurity attack, which goes to show you that there's really no harm in admitting, hey, like we're getting targeted and we're doing a great job at uh, protecting you guys. So you have nothing to worry about, right? So just because you're going to get attacked or yeah, you're going to get targeted for an attack eventually. If you have enough safeguards in place, then you'll be fine. Um, And that's not something you should shy away from telling your customers because it builds trust and it helps save face of your company. So in the case that an actual attack happens on the road and it ends up breaching client information, they'll be a little bit, they'll be more receptive to that and be like, okay, well, I understand that this company is very good at protecting cybersecurity and uh, maybe this was just a really, really, really advanced attack. So I can't really blame them. I'm not going to leave them because of the breach. I still trust them with my data. It's, it's one of those scenarios that we don't hear too often. Usually it's, hey, we had a breach. We lost everything. Don't know how it happened. Here's a year of credit monitoring for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want some case, free services? Well, here you go. Right. They've got a dedicated team working on it. They seem to be handling it pretty well from what we mm-hmm. can tell. Um, first, because they were able to stop the attack whereas a lot of other groups uh, find out about the attack months later. Yeah, no, they did a great job all around. Good job, Hap Vita, you know. Next up, we have tracing your data with your disease. The push to use smartphone apps to track the spread of coronavirus is creating a potential jackpot for hackers worldwide. India's app had a security gap that allowed a researcher to determine who was sick in individual homes. Researchers discovered seven security flaws in a pilot app in the UK. The US is starting to use these contact tracing apps, but at least one has already experienced a data leak. The app Care19 had been sending users location data to the digital marketing service, also a social media service, Foursquare. The issue has since been fixed, and the debate whether to use the apps has mostly centered around what kind of data the apps collect and who should have access to it. But cybersecurity insiders say the apps are highly vulnerable to attacks and could expose data ranging from usernames to location. Um, so why would a new app like this be vulnerable? And, and what makes this situation different than your, your usual app that just comes out on the store? I think so, the biggest thing is that yeah. they seem to be in a huge rush to get this out yep. the door, right? Exactly. And because they were rushing, I, I don't even know why they were sending the data to Foursquare. I don't know if they thought maybe that's how they could pay their developers or whatnot by selling that data. It seems kind of weird to be using a, a pandemic to 
make your money, but okay. <laughs> yeah, right. Doesn't seem ethically right, but you do still need to make money right. in some capacity if you're going to develop something because there's work that goes behind that. So I don't know. I mean, it's right, kind of a but the dilemma way there, but yeah. By leaking customers' oh, data, absolutely. if you will, that, that they don't know necessarily that they're giving away. Yeah. But yeah, the fact that there's three countries involved here that all have similar situations with their apps that are dealing with coronavirus um, mm -hmm. has definitely something to do with being rushed. And I mean, it's great and all that we're going to try to get better tracking solutions because mm -hmm. obviously we need to get a handle on this. But I mean, at the end of the day, maybe it all just comes down to quarantining yourself and wearing masks and that's all you can do. Right. And maybe you just wait until there's, I mean, developing an app takes time. It might even take enough as much time as there is for a vaccine. But if you release it with the vaccine, it's still helpful at the end of the day. It might not be as popular as it could have been in the past, but it's better than getting sued because you're leaking data. I like the concept of contact tracing being done through an app anonymously. Yeah. I think that's such a cool idea. And even beyond the current pandemic, looking at other communicable diseases, it, it might be interesting or useful to start using it for more things than just this one. It sounds like something that would go up the alley of Gene that we just talked about. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like, okay, Gene, instead of being ancestors, let's just look at people getting in contact now and then doing locational tracking based upon, okay, mm -hmm. this person was confirmed with COVID and they confirmed it through our app. And then all these other people were in that same location as that person based upon their data. So right. here we go. This is, this is what could have happened. This is exactly how COVID spread. Mm -hmm. So that way we can shame the person who was patient zero. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, let's find patient zero and make an example out of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Throw tomatoes at patient zero. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. So well, well, we'll see what happens. Moving into the future, this kind of technology I think is very useful and just generally for communicable diseases in general. I think it's an interesting yeah. concept. So. so as long as they don't leak data. Exactly. Or Not coming out strong, but good concept, front. but bad, bad uh, release so far. Usually apps that are related to healthcare and stuff like that, they're not making their money through marketing or through selling the app itself. They're usually making their money through contracts, either through uh, like hospitals making use of that app or the government granting them money for developing that app or something like that. So it is, it's strange to see us having issues with data leaks from these apps. Absolutely. And finally, what's all the bus about? Popular bus sharing service Swivel disclosed that it encountered a security breach. Swivel is an Egyptian bus transportation network company founded in 2017. Customer data, including names, email addresses, and phone numbers were compromised. It's unclear how many users were affected and an investigation is underway. The company didn't provide details elaborating if the breach was restricted to users in all countries where it operates or if it was limited to a specific area. Swivel said that passwords and credit card information were not affected. The company signed out all its customers from their accounts as a precautionary measure. Oh, could you imagine something you use every once in a while? You get signed out and now you can't remember your password? <laughs> <laughs> that happens to me all the time. There's just too many passwords and usernames today. Right. It's like the, the general, the, the tip that everyone gives is don't ever use the same password 
But in reality, saying that is just unrealistic because there's so many things that require usernames and passwords. I feel like it needs to get to a point where everyone has a password and username. And that's the thing that you use for every single app across the board, right? And maybe there's three-factor authentication. Maybe there's Maybe you, you log in with your username and password and then you have to do the text thing. And then you, on top of that, you have to do like a thumbprint and maybe even a retina scan. I don't know, but it's getting to a point where it's just absolutely insane. And it's been like this for a while, but that's just my personal opinion. I have a very strong opinion on every time I have to remember this stupid username and password and it just gets so annoying. <laughs> Normal. Normal two-factor identification. I put in my password to log in, and then it sends me an email, and I have to get to the email and get the code and input yeah. it to be able to log in. Except two-factor identification for me is enabled with everything uh, because I try to log in, and I forgot my password, so I have to click forgot my password, and it sends me an email. Yeah, <laughs> I have to yep. go to my email and get the password. And then you have to confirm it on your phone, and you got to take a picture of your ID, and it's just like, oh, my gosh. I, I when do does it like, end? It takes I me 45 minutes of, of using our phones. I'm a little concerned about some of the vulnerabilities. Uh, but for example, like Facebook now has a two factor that goes straight to your phone as like a, did you just log in? Yes or no. Yeah. I think that's super useful. And that is helpful when you start using the same password multiple times because you have to. Yeah. Because I mean, then, it's just even if someone else tries to get in or even does succeed because they have access to, a cloned phone of yours, you get that notification that someone just logged in and you're like, oh, wait a minute. And you can address it very quickly. Yes. But to wrap this all back into the, the story at hand here, um, a lot of, I mean, this is kind of an example of like just standard breach, right? So a breach happens. Right. It's usually something that's not that important. I mean, it's important information, but it's not that sensitive of information. Mm -hmm. Like you can get a new phone number or a new email address at the, at the drop of a hat. But um, right what's important here is how they reacted and they didn't really elaborate if the breach was restricted. So it seems like they're kind of holding some information from their users, which probably isn't something that's suggested. I mean, you can kind of see the difference between the first breach that we went over where the company was completely transparent about a breach that didn't even happen that they stopped. Whereas this one is right. a breach that did happen and they did give out some of the important details, but not all of it. So they're trying to save face, but at the same time, it kind of makes them look bad. Um, but I mean, it's just kind of see the difference here. The one that's more common of the two in terms of responses to breaches is the swivel response that we just went right. over and we're talking right. about that, now. That's a pretty standard response to a breach. Yep. And that's it for this week's wrap up of your weekly healthcare news. I'm Alex Ross. And I'm Matt Moneypenny. And we will see you next, next week. week. Don't eat the lettuce. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of The Bandage. This week's episode was written and produced by eTactics. eTactics is a leading revenue cycle solutions organization committed to providing innovative, web-based solutions that improve our clients' cash management and customer relationships. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.